Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly and I'm your host for The View from the Lane, the Athletics, well let's call it what it is, all-conquering uh, Tottenham Hotspur podcast. On the show with us today are The Athletics' Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitt-Brook. And we'll be building up later to the looming, no other world will do, um, North London derby. And before we do that, uh, Charlie, you were at Molyneux for the Carabao Cup game last night. I have to say... I thought we weren't going to talk much about this on the podcast, but it was very, very interesting in many ways. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was quite... It was one of those where Spurs started pretty well, got a two-goal lead quite quickly. And, I mean, Wolves had made nine changes for the game. So it, it felt it felt like a game where they, you know, they weren't going to be gutted to go out. But then Spurs gave them a way back in. They they were so in control. It was, re- it was really comfortable. And then a pretty soft set-piece goal... Tangian Nombele didn't cover himself in glory with a pretty ropey attempt. To... Well, he, he certainly didn't cover Dendonka, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think if you could call it a challenge, but anyway, whatever it was. And then, you know, it was a classic. It, it, it was exactly the kind of game that shows why fans get are so paranoid when they're 2-0 up and why that cliche about 2-0 being a dangerous lead is seemingly nonsense because it is exists. Because... That's why you you're you're always worried, um, you know, especially as a Spurs fan, and and probably fans of all teams think yeah. this happens to them, don't they? But it do, it did just change straight away um, from a game that looked like it was meandering along, and that Spurs against a team who, as I say, weren't exactly going to be gutted to go out of this competition. Uh, suddenly, it was this big battle, and it is it's also again another trope that became a bit tedious last season but I do think having fans in does make a difference because they they were up for it they were really up for it even if you know the Carabao Cup wasn't a priority for Wolves and as soon as they got that goal back the whole mood around the place changed they almost equalized straight away Spurs suddenly looked a bit panicked and then it settled down a bit but it kind of carried on into the second half and Wolves got their equalizer I think we should talk then because um we talked a little earlier in one of the podcasts about what I what I actually um, called the Hoiberg situation, where he seems to have to play every single game for Spurs to function. Um, you wrote a piece in today's Athletic. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to I'm going to say it was a really good piece, Charlie. I don't know whether whether that suggests that they're not all really good pieces <laughs> that you write, or whether I'm just particularly ungenerous about your pieces. But it was a really good piece about the fringe players, and I'm sure Jack will have plenty to say about this as well, about how for. I would say it's all of four or five years now. Spurs just don't have a second eleven who either are capable or committed enough to take on these minor games in Europe and the earlier rounds of the Carabao Cup. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it just brought back so many memories. As you said, it's been going on for for longer than this, but it brought back so many memories of last season. The mind went back to one of the Europa League qualifiers against Schendia. Um, pretty forgettable game, but what I do remember about it was that Spurs were drawing one all. 
and then had to summon Harry Kane from the bench after an hour, having already started Son. You know, and, and then against Royal Antwerp, when they got beaten and Mourinho made a quadruple substitution and eviscerated his players after. Away at Lask, uh, he tried to play without Kane. He did start Son and they drew 3 all. It just happened so many times. Even Nuno, they went away to Pacos de Ferreira in a qualifier for the Europa Conference League. I mean, this is fourth, fifth tier opposition, really, with all due respect to them. And, he, and Nuno thought, no, you know what? I'm going to give my fringe players a chance, see if they can prove a point. And they lost 1-0. Sure enough, they have to come back for the second leg. And there's Kane to bail them out. He starts in a 3-0 win. Son and Hoybier come on. And the same thing happened yesterday. I mean, Kane played the 90 minutes. He shouldn't be playing 90 minutes in these games. You know, Wolves no. rested their striker in Raul Jimenez. I didn't... I, I'd like to know, but I, I, I would bet that very, very few, certainly of the top teams in the Premier League, were playing their star striker and most important player in this equivalent match. But he has to do it. He plays the 90 and then Son and Hoybier have to come on again. And it, and it feels like, you know, the way that parents sometimes are with their children. <laughs> like, I can't keep bailing you out. At some point, you're going to have to take responsibility. But they don't and they won't. I don't know why they don't. I mean, it, all right, they can they can start a game without Hoiberg, but he should be jogging up and down the side of the touchline from the thirty seconds in, shouldn't he? Jack, we haven't heard from you yet. Um, it's 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 as though we don't trust you to be on the podcast. And the same that Nuno can't trust these reserve players. But I think you you pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, whether it's attitude or it can't be lack of ability. They're they're at a big football club. They're training every day, um, but they're they're not doing it, are they? No, they're not, and they haven't done for a while. And he, and even the good, like even the really good ones, like Ndombele and Le Celso, who I think are both really good players in their own way. They're not really, they're not people you would fall on, you would go to in a crisis, are they? Like they're not people who would bail Tottenham out of a difficult situation. They're just people that we know are quite good. They're quite good footballers, and hopefully they'll play well. But um, it is a big, really, it is a really big structural issue at Spurs, and I don't really know how they get out of it. Last season, Vinicius. And Bale scored twenty-seven goals between them. They haven't been, yeah. yeah. They haven't been replaced. That's a lot of goals to replace, isn't it? Even in secondary competitions. I liked Vinicius. Vinicius was good. Like he wasn't a great player, but he was. He was brilliant at Marine. Yeah, <laughs> we'll always have that hat trick at Marine. Absolute hero <laughs> at Marine. And he did that brilliant celebration as well. So I was always quite pro Vinicius. I mean, I'd say he was better than Vincent Janssen. Probably maybe not quite as good as Fernando Llorente, but a bit more mobile than Llorente. And it's weird. It just strikes me as weird that Tottenham don't have a Vinicius Llorente Janssen type player this season. Like they, the we, real we, tragedy was that he was better than Roberto Soldado. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah having, I mean, yeah. Vinicius got ten goals last season, yeah. and, I, and look, I don't think you know. Let's not rewrite history. No, you know, I don't think any of us are suggesting Vinicius was outstanding or whatever. But he, it, it just seems odd and, and a regressive step that having finally got in that kind of player to do that, you know, give Kane a night off role, to then not think, oh, that was quite useful. Maybe we should reprise that this season. So th this caused a bit of debate. And, and a few people were saying things like, well, yeah, I mean, you take the three best players out of any team and they're going to struggle, which maybe there's some validity in that argument. What I would say is that not every team, certainly not many top six teams, are playing opposition of the calibre of, say, Pacos de Ferreira or last season Schendia and not being able to do this. Um, and yet, and people were saying Wolves aren't some tin pot outfit. No, they're not, but they made nine changes. You know, they, they were not, this was not a full strength Wolves. And also, it's a Wolves team who've lost, what, four out of their five games. I know some of those are little, um, unfortunately. And the fact that it is, it's a recurring pattern. And, and also, one other issue that this raised, some people made the point, 
And I, and I get this, that at this stage of the season, players want minutes. It's not a big deal if Sonny's playing half an hour or if Kane's playing the, doing the 90 or if Hoybier's having to come on for the last 10 minutes plus. It was about seven uh, at a time. The one thing I would say about that is that we were saying similar things at this stage of last season when Kane was having to play Europa League group games and Son was having to play and Hoybier was having to come on. But we saw the effects in the second half of the season. Certainly with Son and Hoybier, they were nowhere near as good. Son And Son goes on these goal-scoring droughts. And I think often that's because he's overplayed. And Hoybier, he played every minute of last season, every minute in the Premier League. And he started every game in the Premier League this season. Um, and there was a drop-off last season. We saw that. And now all of a sudden, I think this is interesting. And Jack and I have both had this in our on our uh, sort of Twitter timelines, responding to tweets of ours. I think the love for Hoybier seems to have... Uh, dried up a little bit um, which is an interesting talking point because to me I still think he's so important to the team I think fans are kind of taking against Hoybjerg a bit I've seen seen lots of stick for him um, which I think I think you know it's not for me to disagree with fans but one thing I'd say in defence of Hoybjerg is that one he plays all the time like he's played so much football for Tottenham since he's joined and two this season under Nuno he's playing out of position He's he's been moved out of position into the role on the right hand side of the midfield three to basically do all the running and pressing because Tottenham don't really have enough other good fit options in midfield. It's clearly not his natural game. We've seen that because he doesn't really have quality when you get to the final third. Like there was that moment at Selhurst Park where he won the ball back, uh, like led a press, got it back on the edge of the Palace box. And you think a more natural attacking midfielder would shoot or score or set some or set someone up. And Hoiberg didn't know what to do with the ball. So he's been played out of position. Yeah, I know he does it for Denmark, but international football is easier than Premier League football. And he's trying his best to keep the whole... He's, frankly, he's one of the few grown-ups in the team who keeps the who keeps the whole thing knitted together. Just a couple of the players who I wanted to mention who did, uh, well, start uh, or play in the game. Skip was good and physical and strong. I, I thought that was, that was noticeable. But... Um, and I want to mention Deli Ali's pass for Harry Kane's goal because we've been crying mm. out for people to play the ball forward, play the ball forward quickly, and play the ball forward quickly and accurately. So the good old days, Deli Ali first time pass, Harry Kane running in behind. It was like you could have been back in 2016. And that ball through to Kane's right foot when he's moving on towards the penalty spot, you know he's going to score. That's the one he never misses. That one is the yeah. one he never ever misses. But back once again, um, I put on my special Mystic Meg hat to the mystery of Tanke and Dombele. A good goal made by determination and a bit of skill. And then mm-hmm. he was at fault for both of theirs, albeit from an average pass from Skip for the second, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I should say as well that not everyone, I would say, kind of fluffed their auditions because Skip, as you say, he played really well. And, and I was really impressed because he made a number of tackles on Triore. Um, he's quicker than people think, Skip. And he, and he really stuck with him and, and, re- and really um, cleaned him out a couple of times. Very impressive. Brian Hill played well. He came in and, you know, he, he's got people excited. He looks like a real natural player. I think he's going to be great for them. Uh, Delhi was fine. He was more involved in an attacking sense, which was good to see. And then, yeah, and Dombele, it was, it was one of those nights where it was kind of catnip for his those who defend him and those who advocate for him. Because, as you say, he scored a really nice goal, and it was a goal that you can make the point. It wasn't just silky skills; it was also determination. You yeah. know, he chased it down, blocked the ball, but then. The, the, we've talked about the first goal, and then the second, he's not strong enough. Loses the ball, and they go and score. We well, might have talked about the the uh, the first goal in the warm up for the program actually when we were just chatting to each other, Charlie. Because what would you call what Tangay did to try and um, influence the 
activities of the of the uh, the scorer Leander Dendonka. I mean, literally, if he'd thrown a tissue at him, he would have had more effect, wouldn't he? It wasn't great. It reminded me sometimes of um, in schoolboy rugby when you'd have a really big guy running at you and you'd kind of, you know you're not going to be able to tackle them, but at least try and make it look like you tried. He didn't even really do that. He just kind of... I don't even know what it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't a challenge. I thought um, it was the equivalent of turning your head away from the, in the when you're in the wall with a free kick. But anyway, yeah. last question to Jack, really. Um, I mean, obviously, Chelsea went to a penalty shootout. If they were out, I'd say, yes, go for it, Spurs. But while Chelsea are in any competition, you know, sooner or later, Spurs will play them and will go out. So the, the, I, I think... I think they, not the, Spurs knocked Chelsea out last they season. They did Danny. in a penalty shootout. They absolutely yeah. did. What do you think, Jack? They should go for this? Yeah, I think so. Um, they... I mean, it's like the, it's like, it's a bit like the Europa Conference League, isn't it? It's it feels like you know extra extra games which they probably don't need, but they do have a lot of players. Even if they do need to rely on the you know the first team players to bail out the the second eleven, and it's a trophy, and you know I think Tottenham should go for it. There's no reason to try less hard than they do in the Conference League. Burnley away in the next round should be shouldn't be too hard, I don't think. But it's not as hard a place to go as it was when Burnley first came up into the Premier League. And, and frankly, a team like Burnley is going to be more. It's going to be putting fewer eggs in the Carabao Cup basket than Tottenham are because you know their number one priority is to stay in the Premier League. So in that sense, it shouldn't be too you know that shouldn't be as hard a game as going to turf more for a Premier League game would be. I think we've put it off as long as we can. We'll have a quick break when we come back. And myself, uh, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and Charlie Eccleshare, me from between my fingers, will look forward to the North London derby. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We've put it off as long as we can. Um, my... Fear of it reflects, I think, uh, a paranoia um, from both sets of fans. Last uh, on, on Monday, uh, Charlie described the NLD as the neurotic London derby. It may be no less or more neurotic than some of the other big derbies. I think it is. I think the proximity of the two teams, the history of the two teams, and all the rest of it makes it terrible. Let's try and talk about it as a football match first. Jack, how important is it for Nuno to win this game? Yeah, I think it'd be huge for Nuno if he won it. You know, we're still in the early days of the Nuno era. And as such, I think he's, even after the, you know, the winning against City in the first game, I still think he, he could do with a big, you know, what people call a statement win, which winning this game would be. At the same time, after losing the last two games 3-0 in the league, if they were to lose a third consecutive game 3-0, it would be pretty miserable. So in that sense, it is huge. But I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of, got glimmers of optimism I just think after two consecutive games in which Tottenham were really really good for 40 minutes I do kind of feel now that there is at least a plan and after the Selhurst Park game I thought there is no plan yeah. or if there is a plan it's a bad plan so in that sense I've, I do think that they are heading in the right direction they know what they want to do and they can do it they just can't do it for 90 minutes but if they can do it for say 60 minutes on Sunday against an Arsenal team who I think are very fragile and very beatable, then maybe maybe Tottenham will, will win the game. If this group of players uh, wearing red shirts weren't called Arsenal, let's say if they were called Nottingham Forest for the sake of argument, 
Spurs would expect to beat these. Would they? I know. I know this is against all the protocols. You've got to pretend the other team is Real Madrid from the fifties or Brazil seventy. But honest to God, they would expect to beat these, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would. Although, I mean, last season there was what a point or two between them. So <laughs> the reality is they're both. You know, in varying states of not being really where they want to be. That is some Olympic grade pussy footing, my friend. They're both yeah. they're both bang average, aren't they, at the moment? Well, I mean, the league tables they were what seventh and eighth last season. Yeah. Um, you'd probably at the moment say they're around. I think Spurs are seventh currently. Arsenal are obviously quite a bit lower because of their uh, uh, awful start to the season. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly nothing to fear I don't think really from this Arsenal team though you know Arsenal likewise could look at the last two 3-0 defeats for Spurs totally. and feel that they're nowhere near where they were under say the Pochettino teams I mean th- this fixture last season is instructive though or it should be for Nuno because Spurs went to face an Arsenal team who were in the midst of this slight crisis of confidence about playing out from the back especially they kept giving goals away um, playing out from the back they were just really shaky defensively and they looked absolutely there for the taking. And instead, it was it was one of the worst, actually, of the performances under Mourinho. They went there and just gave Arsenal such an easy ride. They went ahead, Spurs, with their only shot of the game, that ridiculous Lamella goal. But, you know, in amongst a ton of Arsenal chances. How but much? then you're like, OK... I'm so missing Eric. I can't bear yeah, it without him. I know. Him. Who's doing... You know, who seems to be doing very well Bring at Bring him Sevilla. back. <laughs> <laughs> But they, you know, rather than build on that goal, they just kind of continued to sit back and they got caught. So that has to be, you know, Nuno has to look at that and say, you know, come on, we, we can't do that. Let's go for this Arsenal team. I always find this cliche a bit meaningless, you know, because it doesn't quite work like that. But when people say it about Chelsea, you know, if they play that well in the first half, they'll beat that, that first half performance would beat plenty of teams in the Premier League. Well, that's certainly true of Arsenal. If they if they played at that, I do think that if they played at that le- that sort of level, you know, with that intensity, that much movement aside from anything else, you know, really stretched, um, really stretched Arsenal. Who, especially if they're playing Granite Xhaka, we know how immobile he is. They, there are players there to get at. So it, it depends how how willing they are to do that. The, the slight problem is, is it's one of these games where for both managers, as brilliant as it would be to lose, uh, to win, sorry, it would be absolutely catastrophic to lose. I mean, the t- the stakes, you could say even more so for Arteta, are so high that they don't lose this game that I, I, I fear for those games some, as a neutral anyway, that when it's not the worst thing in the world for it to be a draw, quite often draws happen. And if it were 1-1 after, say, 60 minutes, I do wonder how much either team would really go for it and how much they would think, let's just get out of here without Subbing on disaster. more and more defensive midfielders, yeah, yeah. to replace little forward bit, yeah. players. Yeah. yeah. Look, we, we identify both sides have got weaknesses, Jack. Um, if, if Spurs... Where would Spurs look to get to get at Arsenal? Is it that central midfield spot? I think so. I think if Ndombele continues his for I mean, Ndombele really represent Spurs in this and in the in the last two games and Dombele's been amazing for 40 minutes and then really dropped off and you know a kind of it's almost becoming the case that when Ndombele is good Spurs are good and when he's not good Spurs aren't good but if Ndombele can continue that form midfield then I think Spurs can definitely win the midfield battle they're much better than Arsenal midfield and I think the other big question really is Harry Kane you know Harry Kane mm. I think has looked a bit sulky unfit but I thought he was better in the first half against Chelsea than faded I thought he scored a proper old-fashioned Harry Kane goal at Wolves last night. And if he can continue, he looked a bit sharper, I think, and more up for it, winning more headers, 
bit more engaged physically than he's been so far. Mm-hmm. And so if this turns out to be a turning point for Kane, of course, when he scored twice against Pacos de Ferreira, we thought that was a turning point for Kane. It wasn't because he went back to playing badly after that. But if this is a turning point for Kane, then I would be quite optimistic because I think Kane can really cause that Arsenal backline problems, especially if he feels like he's got a point to prove. And especially in a fixture where he scores more than anyone else. We're now down to reading every scintilla of Harry Kane's body language with a jeweler's <laughs> eyepiece. And I may, soon, I may soon upgrade to the newly refurbished Hubble Space Telescope. <laughs> but he looked like he actually enjoyed when he slapped that ball into the wall's net. He Actually, you saw a little smile come to his face when he did his little celebratory jump that he does. And I thought, okay, at the very least, remember that you like scoring goals. Um, and have some pleasure in your life. I was saying this to Jack, actually, at the Chelsea game, that it was, it was when Kane was defending a corner. And you think, like, 99.9% of players of his level, they're already at a club that they don't feel a match in their ambitions, etc. They want to leave. And here they are, defending a corner against a, ri- you know, a, a, a rival who are far superior to them, and they're losing. I think it was 2-0 at that point. Mm. And yet, Kane, you do genuinely feel he would have got some satisfaction from heading the ball away at the near post. Like he just he does have such an appetite. It's cre- you know, let alone still scoring. I mean, Kane is a cliche, but he could like if he he would have been desperate to play in that Marine game. Yeah, like he yeah. wouldn't have thought that was oh, beneath yeah. him. He just would have thought I can I can get a hat trick here easy. Uh, and yet, yesterday was exactly that. It was you know, a, a, again an occasion he shouldn't. I don't think he should have been playing in. And yet, still he's there scoring his goal. And scoring his penalty took a lot of satisfaction from scoring his penalty as well. Particularly given that he's chasing the um, all the you know the Jimmy Greaves Tottenham record, the Alan Shearer Premier League record, the Wayne yeah. England record. Like there, there is not a single game that he doesn't want to play. You know when England have got Andorra away in October and San Marino away in November. Now, you know it might make sense for Southgate to play Bamford or Calvert Lewin in those games, and he probably will do. But Kane will be desperate to play those because he knows that if he can just snaffle another hat trick. He's closer and closer to the Rooney mm. record. I think you know that that appetite is true in club football as well. People talk about appetite, and you're absolutely right too. And you know, I didn't want him to go in the summer. I'm all, I'm almost pleased that Spurs have chained into a stake like a junkyard dog. Um, and uh, for a while, he's not <laughs> going to enjoy that, right? But the the fact of the matter is, and you're absolutely right to mention his defensive headers. He is the best defender of the corner of, of a six-yard box from, from incoming free kicks and corners since, I guess, Didier Drogba. Um, mm. And he, what, what, what sometimes seems to be forgotten about Harry, because you often see him wandering around one of those inflatable boots on his ankle, is he loves playing football. He just loves playing. Um, and I yeah. think I think you're right. We've had a false dawn already once this season with the, with, with the brace in the, in the conference league. Um, I think I think he... You know, it's a bit like anything you're worried about. If you if you can't do anything about it, you might as well get on with your life. And until January, at the very least, and I suspect the summer, there's not much you can do about it. So I'm hopeful that he will use this Arsenal game to put a very large navy blue and white flag into the ground. It's just we're just because it's too modest. Little words, Harry's back up the top of it. I'd like to see that. How will they start Spurs? What will they, how Could will he they... do that? You mentioned Drogba there. I remember Drogba scoring after an injury layoff, I think, in his first season at Chelsea and saying, I'm back, I'm back. Well, he should fans. do. That would be just I'd great, love... wouldn't it? <laughs> to yeah. be the most uncane thing to do would be hilarious. How are Spurs going to line up? Do we know the, the 11? Jack, you seem to know the 11 well in advance of every game, if I, if I follow your Twitter feed correctly. I'm not sure about this one yet. I think a lot of the team picks itself. I think the big decision really is in midfield. I mean, I'm sure it's still with the 4-3 three and I'm sure and 
I guess I'd probably go in Dombele, Hoybjerg, Delhi, unless he decides, unless you know decides that's too open and he has to get Ndombele out and put in Skip. But I think that would be a kind of retrograde step if he were to do that. And then the other question would be the other member of the front three, along with Kane and Son. That depends if Mora's back. I mean, yeah. I don't. Think, I mean, Bergvine, I can't believe will be fit. Mora, touch and go. If if he is, I think he'll play because I think he he offers a lot in these kind of games and was brilliant in the July uh, project restart North London derby. Yeah. Um, so I reckon if he's fit, he probably plays. If he doesn't, I can't believe they'd start Hill. I reckon then you might have Lacelso again in that inside right position, which also might embolden Nuno to play and Dombele because he'll feel well you know Lacelso can drop in as well they can interchange a little bit what about Tanganga versus Emerson right yeah now? yeah that's that's a big one as well I don't really know what the answer to that is I mean do us it's not like Arsenal have got like a, a great left winger or someone who you would necessitate you playing Tanganga but then Tanganga was just is more Tierney solid fit Tierney should be fit I think well, there's, yeah there's, and then there's your you do need your strong defender at full yeah. back because Tierney you're not going to force him back he's got too good an engine Tierney and my mm. suspicion is they'll probably have to play Tanganga then and let him get involved in, a, in what would be a brilliant physical struggle that would with be good Kieran I mean because Arsenal could have Saka down that left hand side yeah, as well or that's... Pepe they'll play they'll play one of the two and the centre halves gents the centre halves you've You've skimmed over this as though it's obvious. Diane Romero, right? Yeah, that would be my two. Yeah. I, I think at the moment that is um, the standout pick. Romero was good. It was interesting as well. Gallini um, spoke after the game as well. And, and he, he's a really good talker, by the way, and a really clearly you know good character, good smart guy. Uh, and he was talking about Romero and saying <laughs> what an animal he is. That was and an interesting they, they, quote, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they played together at Atalanta, so you know he knows him pretty well, and just how perfect he is for the Premier League. But he was saying how perfect he is in a three because he does like to flick the ball out, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he played in the middle of that three yes, for did, Atalanta yeah. and was and was very effective there. I mean, I, I I know we talk about it every week, but I do think ultimately Spurs could have some success playing that back three and I do wonder if they'll pivot to that as the season goes on I mean he actually though we should mention he was at fault as well for the second goal failed to intercept um, Dendonka's pass to Bedent but yeah I, I think he's improving and I, I think he has to start and, and Dyer's been good as well Okay, so that will be possibly two uh, of the Dubrovnik three, as Jack has so memorably christened them in the team. And Jack, just um, update us. Um, you think that the the terrible scenario we've been outlining uh, since the start of the season of possibly losing the South American players for long periods of the pre-Christmas Premier League might be starting to fade that threat. Yeah, so this is a story which we just published on The Athletic now. Right. So basically, I've heard that the government has come up with some new plans for the quarantine rules for South American and, let's just say, African players coming back from playing in red list countries at the October break. Now, at the moment, as we all know, the, those rules are that you have to do 10 days in hotel quarantine after coming back to England from a red list country. Under the government's new plans, you would have to do five days of isolation under the guidance or under the bubble of your club. So hypothetically, if this were to happen for Tottenham, Lacelso and Romero and Sanchez could go off to South America, play their games, come back, do five days at Spurs Lodge, I imagine. Yeah. And then they would be eligible to play. Now, this hasn't yet been confirmed as policy, but I'm told this has been circulated by DCMS to the Premier League clubs. So the clubs are under the impression that this will be the case for the October break. 
The question for Tottenham and all the clubs is really, firstly, will they allow their players to go if this is the case? And I, I don't know the answer to that yet. And if they do allow them to go, will they allow them to go for two games or three games? Of course, as we know, last in the last window, Tottenham allowed Lo Celso and Romero to play two games and they did come back. Uh, it was a bit unsatisfactory, though, the timing of it. And of course, they did then miss two games from having been in Dubrovnik, which they would not need to be this time. Should say as well that Spurs, we don't know how this is going to pan out, but they, the impression they, they've given is that they were going to be pretty resolute in their stance this time, given how it panned out last time with uh, players going off, diplomatic incidents, threats of um, people being booted out of countries. So who knows this obviously changes the picture quite substantially but it still remains to be seen how you know how they, they could still say even though the situation's changed you still can't go at all but I do think there's been a, I mean Charlie's right that Spurs do feel that they had their fingers burnt a bit having bent over backwards to be helpful really last time but if this policy does come in I imagine that there will be a row about two games or three games because yeah. the third Argentina game in the next break is right at the end of the second week of the international break. It's not even an especially big game. You know, Argentina got Paraguay away, Uruguay at home, and then they've got Peru at home at the very end of the break. So you'd like to think that they could just play the first two games, not the third one, come back, do five days at Spurs Lodge and be ready for Newcastle away on Sunday, 17th of October. But if the players insist on, pl- on and again, this is all hypothetical, but if the players insist on playing that, that Peru game, then that would mean not only would they miss the Newcastle game, but they would miss uh, probably Vitesse away in the, Euro- in the Europa Conference League the following week and then come back for West Ham away on Sunday the 24th. So the rows are not over yet. They're not, but the thing is with this and what Spurs their position I'm sure will be is that they will the Premier League clubs will all take a consistent position that's what will happen or should happen so they'll need to agree on that and what they're saying to try and avoid a situation like last time where you've got you know Villa and Spurs some of Villa and Spurs' players going off I don't think anyone else so you know th- this will then become a conversation for the, for all those Premier League clubs and they will present theoretically anyway a united front to try and sort this out but at least if, if, if on this occasion they let them go but you know no one could play the third game or or, or you couldn't play up until the point that meant you missed the, the first game back of the Premier League maybe that's what they'll do but it's such a mess and as we saw last time you know it's it's one thing us thinking well you know that feels like a decent compromise just play two of the three games these games are hugely important to people. And, and you know, if, if you're Emi Buendia, say, the Aston Villa player who hasn't actually got a cap for Argentina, but he's been in squads, it's not it's not so easy to just say to him, oh, come on, mate, do you mind missing this game? Because that's, you know, that's a career's work to get capped for your country. If you're Emi Martinez and it's taken you 29 years to get into the yeah. Argentinian side and suddenly you're a national hero following the victory in the Copa America and you're being praised by Lionel Messi himself. If these were England players being told they couldn't travel to internationals, we'd be doing our nut. Anyone want to hazard a prediction for the North London derby? I'll cop out at 1-1. Jack? Spurs are going to win. Arsenal are terrible. Okay, um, because I live in fear um, of Arsenal, I'll say it'll be a draw, a hard-fought draw that Spurs will get. And just to, to give you an example of how deep my fear and paranoia of Arsenal goes, I think I'll indulge myself for 30 seconds. That means two minutes with this story. Um, in 1971, I was living 
um, in a pass of Islington that's equidistant between the old Arsenal Stadium at Highbury and the Town Hall. Very close to both. Everybody I lived with, all my family, big Arsenal fans, me Spurs. As a 14-year-old, I go in 1971 to Wyatt Hart Lane and have to endure watching Arsenal win the league at White Hart Lane for the first time. John Radford's header, I seem to recall, um, having almost got crushed against a wall trying to get into the ground. I don't have to watch Arsenal win the title. A few days later, they win the FA Cup on a very sunny day, Charlie George and all that. And the following day, about to parade both trophies from the stadium to the uh, town hall, i.e. literally past my front door. Um, I wake up on a Sunday morning, come blinking down the way 14-year-olds do, to find the rest of my family making cardboard replicas of both trophies and covering them in tinfoil. I said, what's going on here? They said, oh, we're off to the parade. So left by my entire family in the back garden on what was a gloriously sunny day, I remember it distinctly, I was drowned for the next three hours by the sound of Arsenal fans going delirious and ballistic over their blinking team. And here we are, it's exactly half a century later, and I can still hear those sounds and feel that pain like it was happening now, like somebody was driving a fork into my thigh. Listen, we could um, we could pretend to be talking about the North London derby without not having a clue what's really going to happen for the rest of time until the game gets kicked off at the weekend. A couple more things I want to quickly get your views on. I think, once again, the Spurs stadium is so often the story these days. Um, it remains the masterpiece of its kind, the first of a new generation of sports stadia around the world. Two things about it. First, the apparent arrival soon, Jack, I think, of the tryout for safe standing. Where do you stand on safe standing? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of excited by it. I think it's I think it's a good thing simply because it there is so much standing at football. Like we all know, lots of people who go to football matches stand. Those cheap plastic seats are not amenable to safe standing because they're you know for obvious reasons they dig into your shins. You can't you know you're at risk if there is a push of people of getting toppled over one way one way or the other. And as a rule, if people are doing something, it's better policy to find a way to help them to do it safer rather than to tell them not to do it. And I think it will increase, I think it will improve the atmosphere and be safer and more fun for the fans, which is really what it's all about. Charlie, you, sh- you share that view? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good thing. And if it helps the atmosphere, then then all the better. Which, you know, generally, you know, well, it varies on the game, but it's, you know, so, some places are very good and I think others, fan, some fans feel that some of the atmosphere from White Hart Lane has been lost. You'll forgive me if I, if I don't quite share your view, but I actually bow to the fact of what you said, the pair of you, because I uh, I don't have really a logical argument against it. About five years ago, in one of the broadsheet newspapers, before the Athletic swept all such things helplessly into the sea, I did one of those um, two-way arguments by email with no lesser luminary than Alistair Campbell. And Alistair was arguing for the return of safe standing. And I was arguing against it. My, my arguments are not logical. They're just based on residual experience of the old stadiums in the 70s and in particularly the 1980s and wondering why 
would you go back to something that had proven so dangerous? But of course, I, I am talking about standing and you people are talking about safe standing. I think we need to draw the distinction there. And I suppose, given that I set myself up as a libertarian, if people want to stand at football, we should find a way to let them do so. They're certainly paying enough money to be allowed to do what they want. Although you wouldn't introduce standing areas at the opera, would you? I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I guess the challenge for clubs is going to be making sure that people who want to stand are in standing areas and people who want to sit are in sitting areas because yeah in the set in you know it's very easy mm. for us on this podcast you know a group of men to mm. say wouldn't it be great if for people who could stand at the football like you know that that's how you get the better atmosphere but the fact is there are a lot of people who go to football who are you know for whom it would not be a pleasant or fun or even experience to stand for the whole game or who wouldn't want people standing in front of them and these are people who are you know maybe have less voice in society maybe less likely to have their own podcasts yeah and i just think it's it's important i think sometimes in football we get so wrapped up in how can we you know we get so wrapped up in chasing authenticity and we can't have you know people rail so much against sanit what they call sanitization sure that i think well sanit you know I mean, you say sanitization. I say making it health and uh, healthy and inclusive environment for everyone. And I, as much as I like, you know, I like, I would rather, I would rather stand if I went to football. That said, I'm like a you know able-bodied 33 year old white man for whom you know I don't have any challenges in seeing. I can't see tell over Zoom. You're six foot. Okay, I was just gonna, yeah. But how tall are you, Charlie? Charlie's really Six foot tall. one and a half. Okay, so I'm, a, really I, tall. I'm the tallest of us in that case, which is... which Are you? Yeah, I'm about six two. I, I know I look very... Mm. Because of my otherwise... You've just got the edge My superb me. upholstery, I do look very short, don't I? I look more round than tall, but I am tall. Your point is exactly right about inclusiveness, and I hear the argument about the atmosphere and all the rest of it. I think I my own argument about it, and my argument with Alistair in the papers was that the genie has been put back in the bottle in one way there. Let's find ways to make these stadiums atmospheric without returning to a kind of rose-tinted view of what they were like because the atmosphere you're talking about came with other prices, you know. Um, yeah, crushes on, on terraces. I'm not talking about the things that kill people, but crushes on, on terraces and people weeing in your pocket. That may be too high a yeah. price to pay for somebody being able to sing and your shit, uh, you know you are, uh, down off the terraces. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm all for the experiment because, you know, otherwise you end up digging in your heels in about everything. And how does that look? Very, very bad indeed. Also, we should say as well that as... I know it winds people up when people who go most of their match go experiences in the press seats, mm. which is very, very different. And for, you know, I think people find it distasteful when they're then pontificating about fan experience. So everything we've said with that enormous caveat. Yes, although and I would say to those people, yes, that the press boxes are normally luxuriously appointed with free buns for everybody. Um, the old Tottenham Stadium, the press seats were very small indeed. And as I've described before, the radio commentary point was a tiny slit cut in the concrete that I could have worn as a waistcoat. Now, the final thing I want to talk about was the boxing. This stadium, which, you know, let's be honest, it dominates the whole of the area in which it's plonked. And we've been told it is one of the gateways to the sunlit uplands of the Champions League and all the rest of it. But it hasn't had a chance because of the pandemic. That's not Levy's fault. Let's be honest about that. And I don't suppose the uh, the overrun on the building has much to do with him either. These things are complicated. I get that. Um, as somebody who's recently built a small wooden shed to store wood in, um, I do understand these things can overrun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you can really yeah, empathise. Yeah, I can. I can. 
Um, but this weekend sees the the fight between Alexander Usyk and uh, Anthony Joshua. Um, is this a is this a just a minor point in the road for Spurs, or is it? A, a, will we look back on it as a sign that yeah, this is what he built the stadium for. This is the way they're going to drag in those extra tens of millions. Yeah, because it's it's not just you know it's not just AJ, but it's in a big fight. It's I mean, the crown jewel, like you said, is an NFL franchise at Tottenham. You know, that's some way off now, but there will be, I think, NFL games here this October. There are plans for what I think both codes of rugby. I think, is it Guns N' Roses are coming next year? Lady Gaga was meant to be coming. Yeah, so this is the kind of relaunch, really, of what was meant to be a very lucrative program running through last year, which in theory should deliver millions and millions and millions of pounds to Tottenham, and which is what the stadium was built for in the first place. So the more that the more that the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium can sell itself as being somewhere where you can have a you know heavyweight world title fight or Lady Gaga or whatever, and ultimately NFL, then the better that's going to be for the whole t- from Tottenham Hotspur and the whole brand. As much as people don't like that word, I was speaking to someone about this. I think it was around the time we did a piece on a year of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So this would have been April 2020, a year since the first game. And what they were saying was that the, the whole purpose now when you build a stadium like this is that it's a 365-day-a-year venue. You know, gone are the days where you have your 19 league games, a few cup games, and that's it. It's not about that anymore. And so it's all about not just your boxing, uh, rugby, concerts, but that you have stadium tours and you have, you know, the ex- the Tottenham experience and all of these sorts of things. That's the model. And that's kind of the Ameri- what some American stadiums have done. And so that does give you some idea of why the pandemic... I know it was devastating for everyone and for every club in lots of different ways and in some in much more profound ways because their their very existence is threatened but the whole business model the whole point of that stadium was that it was going to be this uh you know every day of the year venue and then all of a sudden it became not just you know it wasn't just oh no you're actually going to get the football games it was no this is a zero day a year venue which was effectively what it was for for that year well it's been fascinating guys and we've got through without anybody having to have uh, help from the St John ambulance uh, in previewing the North London Derby, of course, the trick is to get through the weekend without requiring some kind of artificial resuscitation. Uh, that's been Jack Pitbrook. Thank you very much, Jack. And of course, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you very much to him uh, as well. And if you're not already subscribed, you can read all of Charlie's and Jack's pieces. Um, I'd recommend them to you absolutely uh, on Spurs and elsewhere by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up on a, with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We'll be back on Monday. We'll see how it goes. Thank you for listening. The Athletic.